Boom. All right. All right, we're here. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Agitator Podcast. My name is J. David Osborne, and as soon as I started talking, my dog started walking around. Fantastic. Well done, dog. I I hate you. She knows it's go time. I hate you. I can't stand this dog. <laughs> I'm going to turn her into a coat. Uh, the, his name is Kelby Losak. We have a very special guest on here. Durbin. How do you pronounce your alias, sir? Durbin Moffer. Durbin Moffer. Durbin Moffer, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Oh, you know, I'm a psyop. I'm a fed. I think that's pretty much it. You know, I'm in, I'm infiltrating art communities all across the globe. Awesome. No, I like to write. I like to paint. You know, I like to do it all. Tap dance thing. You know, whatever. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> tap, tap dancing is something that I never got around to. But, you know, I still have a whole lot of life left. Yeah. Uh, I'm on. I'm in my 30s. I'm not going to die soon. Right? Right, fellas? Yeah, right, right. Always yeah, look no, on the no. bright side of life. And you can also, you know, kind of like hybrid tap dancing and break dancing. That's the new thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Well, we are here to talk about 2004's Hizo. Back to Takashi Miike, which is exciting for me. We took a detour into Shinya Tsukamoto territory and Ghost in the Shell territory. Kelby, did we ever figure out who was going to do the plot synopsis? I forgot. <laughs> well, no, we got to talking about <laughs> we got to talking about Durbin's struggles with subtitles. I would love for you to repeat that because I think it's funny. Okay. Well, um, the last Agitator podcast, I believe you guys were talking about watching something without the, the benefit of subtitles. And so I I love that idea, of course, because I kind of like I kind of like watching TV shows or whatever um, with the sound down, so I can kind of make up whatever's going on there, my own dialogue, etc. And so yeah, yeah, this really intrigued me. And so when Kelby sent me the link, got another scam caller coming in, Jesus. Um, when he sent me the link, I downloaded it and I was unable to remove the subtitles so I don't know if it was just some sort coming on my part probably but you know so I had the subtitles and it's a lot harder to read subtitles than you would imagine and so I was constantly struggling I would have to actually look away at points because you know if there if there's a scene like where they're in the boardroom or whatever that was talking you know you can kind of look away but I love the idea of, of body language and facial expression and being able to interpret that um mm -hmm. and i actually mm -hmm. work with people like that I, i've got a coven and i kind of like that's one of the exercises we do is like provide a clip and say what's going on here you know and they can you know just surmise whatever from the body language and the facial expression so there was that and then there was the whole subtitle struggle so i think i was pretty successful got a couple little spoilers but yeah that's that's pretty much where i was at all right, so you just said coven. Tell us about this coven. I'm interested. Oh, Jesus. Do you want to go there? Okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it was started, God, when did we start that? Probably 15 years ago, which is really a long time for a coven because you know, most yeah. of the covens in this area, like two or three years, there are a few longstanding uh, covens in Ohio. And... Um, I guess we're like one of the one of the few, and so yeah, I've uh, got about you know a core of like fifteen to thirty people that show up regularly, and especially for like high holidays like Valentine's coming up. So, um, and we also, me and and my mate, we also go to um, the reformatory for women, and we uh, provide services there. He's he's an official like Hagen priest over there, so. Yeah, awesome. uh, that's awesome. So this is paganism. What witchcraft? Is it, is it a kind of witchcraft? Is it back back to back to nature stuff? It, it's Etruscan. It's Etruscan magic. Like um, Strega is. A, it's like there's a lot involved. I mean, we, 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 I I despise the term Wicca because it's not mm -hmm. Wicca. It's just just plain old witchcraft. Um, mm -hmm. but it's it's a hybrid. 
um, we kind of take from all kinds. I mean, you even take stuff from cast like the Jesuits, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, so, absolutely. yeah, that stuff is deeply uh, steeped in magic. So, I mean, that's like some of the origin stuff. That's awesome. Kelby's actually Wicca. He's he's a... Uh, Pansy ass. Candy ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Our, our, our first gay guest, and I get called gay. <laughs> I did not call you gay, sir. Please. I'm going to, you know, I've got a lot of space here. <laughs> Kelby's actually right now, he's got his crystals out, and he's, you know, he's connecting with the earth goddess. Uh-huh. It's, I think it's pretty. I it like is it. really pretty. I can see the colors right over here. Yep. No, but that is awesome. The coven aspect is really cool. I uh, I tend to try not to talk too much about stuff like that, I like know. online, because because no, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that like you talk about it, like you could talk about it all you want. Um, but one thing that I've noticed, so I'm in a big community of uh, magic people. It's the it's like the rune soup community have you heard of rune, rune soup i understand uh, this about you yes yeah yeah and uh one thing that i notice is that it feels like everybody goes and tweets what they're doing when it comes to the occult and i'm always like i thought that it was like the word is the occult it's hidden to will to sure dare to will to be silent that's that's the, yeah. the thing to dare to will to be silent and there's, you know, there's these influencers who are, you know, these, you know, chicks with, uh, like, Crowley hats or whatever who are, you know, talking about what they're doing and is taking Instagram pictures of their, you know, circles and what have you. And I'm like, oh, this, well, this seems like a really good way to get your magic co-opted by the Archons, right? Because you're literally putting it Archons. into their... Yeah. 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 In, 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 into their into their fucking paradigm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't agree. Know. So, I agree one hundred percent, and that's why I'm a, a little res- or re- uh, reticent to talk about it because I don't I don't approach social media that way at all. Nobody would know a fucking thing about my my life really if they looked at any yeah. of my social media accounts. Yeah, what is your relationship to social media? Because you have an interesting podcast and kind of presence so what what is your relationship to social media well it's 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 one of of i guess it's <clears throat> strange bedfellows one of kind of a hostility in a way and that's kind of how it was started out i mean like even before all the facebook shit came out like when facebook was a baby i i joined up i was i was a uh what do you call it uh uh, MySpace person, and I love mm-hmm. that because you could really get artsy yeah. with that shit. You could put music mm-hmm. on it and do your own background, do all that stuff. And so I was kind of into that. And then Facebook came around. And I, thought, I thought to myself, well, I'll promote my art and I'll just name myself one of my characters. I don't trust any of this. I don't want to put my real information there. So it's a fake bio. It's all, all fake. And I went around and liked a bunch of stuff that. I, I wouldn't, you know, nor, no sane person would like, at least, you know, from where I'm sitting. And and so I confused the algorithm so much. I, I really enjoyed that. That's part of my my game with that. I have a different name, except for Facebook and Facebook and Twitter. I'm Durbin Moffer. On Instagram, I'm Ovla Sedratu. On Tumblr, I'm Classy Poom Poom. On <laughs> what is it? WordPress. I'm the vast indifference. Uh, you know, it's like it's brand confusion all over the place. And so I'm always fucking with algorithms and stuff. In fact, I just unfollowed a bunch of things and followed a bunch of really odd things on Twitter to see what it does to my algorithm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that. I do that with Nazi stuff. Yeah, right. Follow a bunch of Nazi stuff and just see see what pops up. Oddly enough. Not a lot of Nazi stuff. No. Twitter's Twitter's kind of prejudiced against our far right brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, they're prejudiced against more than that. I think they got a like a hard on for the furry community, no pun intended there too. Really? Is there furry is there furry bias on Twitter? 
I, I uh, you know, I see a little bit of that. I see a little bit of that. I mean, I, I, I started another account, which I won't say what it is, but it is, uh, I followed a bunch of furries that were into diapers on there. And <laughs> I have just like a whole new world has kind of opened up to me. I just am like, oh, and I see certain of those things. They're, they're really like borderline. So I feel more free to kind of like, I mean, even so, I feel more free to like certain fringe things with that account than I do even Durban, and Durban is still pretty out there. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelby, I'm going to put this on you, bro. Yeah. You want to tell us about Ezo? So Ezo is the story of a man named Jesus Christ. Hell yeah. Who Jesus? was crucified for our sins. Mm-hmm. Uh no, so it starts with um, a cartoon diagram of a dick uh, dripping semen, and then cuts to stock footage of a birth, then cuts to a man hanging on a cross being stabbed repeatedly with spears uh, in a really gushy, <laughs> grotesque way. Like, the sound effects there were just incredible. And from there... He blasts off past a World War II montage and travels to a dumpster in modern-day Tokyo, walks out of the alley, and proceeds to just murder people on a, a mission of divine retribution through self-sabotage by killing his soul and... Uh, just slaughtering, slaughtering different individuals throughout different times, and it's a Mobius strip sort of time travel film um, where modern day merges with the past, and the past comes to modern day, and there's more World War II stuff thrown in the mix, and he makes it through the sort of jumbled divine comedy afterworld slaughtering interesting group after interesting group including wrestler bob sapp he has a big showdown with the big man from japan well from america who moved to japan uh and it culminates in a zombie uh world war ii japanese soldier um accompanied onslaught of uh, a boardroom of financiers, of self-proclaimed financiers. He murders them and then proceeds to kill the most symbolic characters in the movie. Uh, It's a trio of a snake-wielding man, a sort of... and And then a couple of... a man and a woman who... Uh, sort of speak in haiku and, you know, represent different... Uh, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to what they represent. But he he murders the financiers, and then he murders the, the poets, and then he tries to murder God or whoever, the sort of femboy snake guy is supposed yeah, to Yeah, the lady boy. The lady boy. Yeah, Ooh, the, oddly the enough, of, oddly enough, is the the lead character in Shinya Tsukamoto's worst film, Nightmare Detective. Little bit of trivia there for you. Yeah, That's what people come to the show for? They come for useless bits of trivia like that. Um, yeah, so that, in my perception, that guy is probably closer to Satan than God because of the snake. You know that whole yeah. story with the with the tree. Yeah. Snake. Yeah. 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 Um, Oh, that's a good... I like that interpretation of it because it changes a lot of... Yeah, I was trying to... I had him as God in I my did head too. because that's typically the the pinnacle of of ascension is, you know, capital G, God. But that makes more sense. And it also makes sense of a parallel to the Jesus story because mm-hmm. the story of Jesus' crucifixion is he travels to the underworld to defeat Satan. Mm-hmm. After he's crucified Correct. and before he's resurrected, Correct. 
So, Izo has a lot of... Oh, and it has this amazing, amazing fucking folk singer. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like, the, he's, like, he's like Japan's version of Tom Waits, is what I read. Uh, very popular there. There's a there's a whole scene where he's singing a song about his kid dying and taking him to the zoo, and that shit affected me because the whole movie stops and you just get a shot of this folk singer who's been kind of throughout the movie as this minstrel who's not really narrating the plot so much as just providing musical accompaniment to it. And halfway through, yeah, it stops and you just get the shot of the guy's face as he's doing this uh, song, and I was like, what? The why am I, why am I feeling things in this ponderous, goofy ass movie? Uh, but I did. So anyway, he uh, that reminded me of the whole Shakespearean thing where they it was very popular to have a singer come in, and there was at least one song in a Shakespearean play in olden times where they would have you know often a minor character singing something that was expository in nature, uh, usually. Excellent. I did not know that. Yeah, so Kelby's encapsulation of the plot is really good. I'll rewind a little bit. And when Izo, after Izo is crucified, he goes, uh, he begins to go through these levels. Uh, first, he murders everybody from his direct past, um, people who he's killed in the world of the living. Uh, there was a woman who he had sex with and who birthed a baby and kind of Mimicking the, the, the La Llorona story in Mexican culture, she actually drowned her baby once uh, Izo abandoned her, right? And that's a very kind of interesting and intense scene because she's got this very uh, beautiful yet spooky white and red face paint on, and she tries to attack him by pulling a, a, a long dagger sword <laughs> thing from her pussy, and it's like, uh, and it's, it's got uh, amniotic fluid, like, like real thick dripping yeah, from yeah. it. I thought he was gonna lick it, but that happened later. Yeah. <laughs> the licking of the amniotic fluid. Right, right. So then he goes, he goes from that, and he begins to kill uh, priests. He goes to a church and kills priests, and he kills the head priest, which opens up a hole in the floor that he descends into the bowels of the earth, and then he has sex with the earth mother, uh, like the mother of all creation. Uh, does not kill her, if I remember correctly. He just he just has sex with her. It rather um, looks like a rape to me. I mean, I couldn't tell, and I, can't, well, sure. of course, wasn't reading any of that, but I was like, okay, so that's just intense pleasure, and he's so frenetic when he's doing it. He's just like, bam, 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 you know, really rabbiting, rabbiting it out on top of her. <laughs> it's worth pointing out also that Izo's costume is kind of amazing. He's got this bizarre mullet thing going on. <laughs> yeah, and also yeah. and it, just this enormous cod piece that he wears through the whole thing. Uh, so there's something going on there with male virility and very much you know, big old wieners. Um, but after that, he also begins to slaughter representatives of institutions so uh there's a classroom and where else is this escaping my mind now because there was a segment where he was like going to all these different institutions and kind of killing the people in them i remember the school i just recently watched um, this there's a spokesman of some sort mm. or salesman oh or right right come. salaryman yeah he does the whole salary <sighs> Those thing two like, yeah, in the suits <laughs> Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean it's almost like they're the way they were looking, it's kind of almost like they were being friendly or whatever and then all of a sudden <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When he's in the earth, yeah, these two guys in suits come up and they say that they want to sell him insurance. <laughs> and, and, and and then he's uh and then he's like kind of ignores them and he just stabs one of them, which is basically Izo's MO through this whole movie. He just keep stabbing. It doesn't matter who it is, kids, women, uh, whoever. So he stabs one of them, and then they grow vampire fangs and begin to stab him with these big uh, kitchen knives, and and then he kills them. The vampire um, fangs threw me. I was not yeah. expecting that. Right. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff like that in this movie, which I think makes it so good, is these juxtapositions 
of him being, you know, like in Edo period, period Japan and having a full on special forces SWAT team with, you know, uh, submachine guns, uh, trying to, trying to kill him. But, uh, I will stop talking and turn it back over to either one of you. You guys can pick that up wherever you want. Yeah, I want to hear more uh, of, your, of some of your takeaways, Durbin. Yeah, you know, the thing... Uh, okay, there's a heavy Redeemer theme that seemed to come through to me, and, and that was already discussed. Um, I wasn't sure if it was really supposed to explicitly be Christ or not, because, well, the, the method of crucifixion seemed all wrong to me anyway, but that's beside the point. Um so I wondered about that because, yeah, just just because when they, they I know the garb was supposed to be you know um, World War Two more or less. I there was a very very much how I how I I came to it was this kind of um, basically like either there was a very Dante uh, Inferno flavor to it, there was a beef or vendetta feel to it. I also kind of was like, oh yeah, I see, I see some of that. Um, there was the whole uh, reincarnation idea, which I mean, yeah, the imagery for the imagery, uh, the reproductive imagery. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and even the point where was he look? At, it was the woman in the cave where he looked at her, and there was like she was. Well, first of all, she was right underneath him and grabbed his cross. And then she was like across the cave from him. Behind, he was behind this like little gate or something. There are so many subtle, weird little details in this movie. I, like I said, I, I watched it twice. And so I was like, each time I picked up something different, which is something I, I love about any given work of art. Um, so she was across the room then and kind of masturbating in front of him, which it, it seemed like, and, and giving him come hither looks. And and then he was on top of her. But, but before that, it was at the point where he looked in and, and there was this like really almost Lynchian kind of like uh, interior shot of a womb or a vagina. Yeah. Yeah. That turns into a cave. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, you know, that kind of stuff, that kind of symbolism was reiterated through. And then the birthing, you know, all of that which kind of led me to this whole uh, redeemer or maybe uh, reincarnation idea. Now, you said something interesting there about the crucifixion being wrong. I'm curious about that. Well, it wasn't a traditionally that that was like a suffocation thing more than anything, where their arms were uh, uh, nailed in above their head or bound mm. above their head, not, not mm. out to the size like it's traditionally depicted. Oh, right, because the whole stabbing in the gut thing was to make your lungs collapse, right? Yes. Wasn't that the idea? I yeah. mean, you'd okay. naturally suffocate anyway in that position after a while, but mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that certainly helps it a lot. And that, like, this is the stabbiest, most piercing movie I've seen. And you guys were talking about one in The Last Agitator um, that was really heavy with stabbing and slicing. And I thought this one was pretty, you know, pretty uh, slice-heavy. Yeah. Oh, indeed. It has many stabs. Um, in fact, that's pretty much the whole movie. You were mentioning movies that it reminded you of, and the whole time that I was watching it, I couldn't help but think, oh my god, this is Takashi Miike's Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain! Yeah. Yeah. You know? There was uh, Joe oh, Jodorowsky, yeah. too, and we that was that, and um, his Joe Dorowski, uh was, uh, he also did Santa Sangre, which is kind of a crazy movie some of the some of the cinematography reminded me of of both uh the holy mountain and um what is it fellini satiricon some of the fellini stuff oh i haven't seen that one what's what's the deal with satiricon oh, that's a classic of just like i think roman decadence okay. yeah, that was really pretty the uh, pretty much the uh, the gist of it and but there was like a lot of shifting uh, scenery, abrupt sh- shifting scenery, bizarre little scenarios with with uh, characters that had makeup, that really elaborate makeup and posh kind of like, uh, in a way lavish, where this was more grungy. It had that, but it also had lavish moments of really beautiful cinematography. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to understand what, uh, because this is actually a movie that's been requested of us since we started Agitator, and the requests come from a point of wanting to understand it, mm-hmm. and um, I was looking around after watching it, and a lot of people seem very befuddled by this movie, and it made me curious because it just doesn't seem like that complicated of a complicated in the sense of there's a lot to talk about and a lot of directions to to go off of it sort of fractures like a tree to like go in all different directions with it but not it's the understanding part that like uh, it confuses me it's like what is what is so confusing about this movie i want to know where people are coming from that aren't vibing with it. You know what? This is going to sound really shitty. (laughs) It sounds really arrogant. But people don't... The people that would say, I don't understand this, don't have an imagination. They don't have an understanding of history. They don't have an understanding of art. Like, art that's not spoon-fed or, like, all the, the ends are tied up. You know, you have to kind of, I mean, you know, even without watching, I was excited because I was like, I'm going to find out what the movie's really about now. <laughs> and even, like, as I'm hearing this, I realize I wasn't that far off base, even without the language. You know, it, it's, I don't know. I don't get that either. I guess that's my point. Well, and the language is an important part just in that it, um, and and that speaks to the purpose of the film too, because how you got it that's it it is a vibe and it's a metaphorical story. I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it an allegory necessarily, but it is rife with symbolism and metaphor and just vibes. And the dialogue is just an enhancer of that. Like there's no expository like this is Ezo. He can't. Even when people describe Ezo, they talk about him in different ways. Somebody talks about him as an ex-lover. Somebody talks about him as um, someone who wronged him. Somebody describes him as the devil. Someone claims to be his soulmate. Like, every, like, it's nothing clear and coherent in a literal sense. It's a lot of uh, philosophy. Um, there's actually the scene with the two monks who are um, who are sitting in the woods and like sharing a tea or whatever before Izo comes in and just like cuts their heads off. They're they, they're saying some some great uh, philosophical back and forth uh, something along the lines of a a perfect phase creates imperfection to remain perfect and becomes the phase of absurdity. Mm-hmm. And the other one says, the imperfection that drips from perfection is the essence of existence. And then the other one says, existence itself is absurd, namely, the fundamental incoherent. And about that time, Izo walks in and lobs their heads off. Yeah, this is, you mentioned Wabi Sabi a few episodes ago, and that's a key aspect of Japanese art is the uh, the unfinished nature of things, which I know Kelby and I are fucking with heavy on some stuff that we're working on, but it's been co-opted by Western art styles in that whenever you walk into a coffee shop or a hair salon, that kind of exposed ductwork type thing where it's like, oh, that's all a work in progress. Uh, Wabi Sabi is more about adding the slight imperfections in into art in order to um, sort of do what those philosophers are talking about, which is bring a lens towards the the fundamental imperfection and absurdity of things, which is kind of what it means to be alive, which is sort of what this movie is, is getting at, too. Okay, I did take some notes on this, and I'm looking through and I'm listening to what you guys are saying about it, because I, I you know, obviously didn't have the benefit of that that dialogue between the two monks there and I just uh, basically I assume uh, you know I didn't assume that everybody he was he was hacking through was uh necessarily a quote-unquote bad guy you know or had wrong like necessarily was part of a 
I mean, they could have just been and they were part of a corrupt system and that was the symbol of it. I, I, I didn't know, but I didn't really feel like that was the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's one of the things about Izo uh, as a character in this movie and as a force is that he uh, doesn't discriminate who he tears through, mm-hmm. especially as the movie goes on. And, you know, there's that somewhat harrowing scene where he, like, hacks through uh, children. The right. little girl that's holding onto the sword, yeah. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like she's trying to stop him, she's saying like and she's representing innocence and this idea that children break the cycle and the movie in a very nihilistic turn is saying, you know, you can't stop the demon. You can't stop mm-hmm. him from, you know, doing what he's going to do. Doesn't discriminate. He doesn't discriminate, exactly. Uh but on the subject of the imperfection and the perfect, I feel like the thesis of the movie was articulated towards the beginning. I can't remember who was having this line of dialogue, but there was a talk towards the beginning about absurdity and incoherence. And they actually used those two words, absurdity and incoherence, which I thought was interesting considering stylistically that seems to be sort of what Miyake is going for, which probably led to the confusion that Kelby mentioned earlier. But to my mind, what's really interesting about this is that the, it begins with a crucifixion. And I got pretty Christ-killed by a theologian named Peter Rollins <clears throat> some time ago, uh, particularly his book, Insurrection. And in that book, he talks about the cross and the crucifixion as the ultimate act of uh, absurdity. And what he means by that is that uh, he, he talks about uh, Tertullian, who was a Carthaginian scholar uh, many, many moons ago, many hundreds of years ago, who said, uh, you know, I believe in the truth of the crucifixion because it's absurd, right? And what, what he's getting at is that essentially in, in Christianity, it's often misinterpreted as, uh, you know, as the, the crucifixion being, you know, this sort of ultimate sacrifice, right? But Rollins has an interesting interpretation of it as this kind of black metal nihilistic uh, episode, and he focuses specifically on the fact that uh, in his last moments before he dies, Jesus says, why did you forsake me, right? So the ultimate absurdity of the crucifixion is this idea that God actually abandoned himself, and God killed himself, and what that means for, for Christians in this black metal nihilism way that I supervive with is that we're not to use the crucifixion as a uh, kind of get-out-of-jail-free card where we think, oh, you know, I'm forgiven of, of all of my sins, right? Like it's, it's not an escape route, but the crucifixion in itself is actually an invitation to embrace and be enveloped by absurdity and nihilism and and to learn how to live with that uh, fundamental soul lack and the death of God. Um, So the fact that this movie begins with a crucifixion that then segues into a discussion on incoherence seemed, whether it was Miike's intention or not, to be touching on the the true meaning of Christmas, if you want. So Izo is in fact one of the most Christian movies I've ever seen, uh, per- particularly in its depiction of, you know, the fundamentally violent and quote-unquote separate from God nature of um, of humans, especially with it, all of its World War II footage, because people in Japan have a very strong connection to World War II for, for some reason. I can't remember why. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, it's a minor thing. <laughs> <laughs> just a little having a sh- having couple. your shadow burned into a sidewalk is you know so that's that to me kind of you know it happens within 10 or 15 minutes of the movie starting but i i really began to think of the the thing as a as a kind of treatise on incoherence as a point in and of itself and monotony and repetition and confusion as being sort of fundamental aspects of the human condition the violence that's kind of bred within culture too by war, you know, the, yeah, you know, yeah. you think about this and, and people want to say, Oh, 
well, you know, black metal causes, you know, kids to do this and that. They never talk about how Vietnam sent a, a generation of young men primarily home damaged so by the violence that had been committed and the atrocities of kill, killing women and children that still happens in you know, places like Syria, et cetera. And, and, and so that's also kind of part of, and this is getting real heady with it, maybe assigning things that shouldn't be assigned, but I thought of it as kind of like an anti-war treatise in a way. Totally. No, it totally is. I think you nailed it with that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's a lot of what the war footage is doing here. And then the uh, the sort of catharsis at the end where he murders um, the general who is standing there before all of the zombie Japanese soldiers. <laughs> and then the the only time he joins forces with anyone in the movie is with the Japanese soldiers who, like, step out of his way and open the doors for him to go into the room before all the financiers, and they they just all slaughter everybody. I love the like opening think, doors, like going through those multiple rooms, it's like one after the other, like a Russian nesting doll or like get smart where he's walking through all those doors, you know, and those zombies. And which I also thought of as radiation victims, to tell you the truth. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. What made you think radiation? It's just their pallor, uh, the way they were moving, the whole zombification of like, and the disease that is genetically passed on, or like, not disease, but the um, modification that would be in your gene at that point from the radiation. A lot of that was like occurring to me when I was watching. Don't you think it's weird that our conception of World War II as Americans, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Holocaust, right? Which, definitely bad, definitely worth meditating on and you know, attempting to never recreate. But I remember learning about the A-bombs being dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we just kind of skip right over that. Like, oh yeah, well, we had to do it. We had to drop uh, bombs. And I don't even see, and this, this goes to show the feelings of either me personally or the education system. I don't even remember how many people were killed. Was it half a million between the two bonds? Not even counting the the, the fallout? I mean... Yeah, it was something, and I don't know. Certainly that number, but... Yeah, Jesus. but it's just, you know, I mean, between the, you know, the genocide of Native peoples and the bombs on Japan, it's, it's, it is interesting, isn't it, that we just are kind of like, yeah, but let's, uh, let's focus on who the real, the real bad guys are here, which, again... To everybody listening who already thinks that I'm a white supremacist, not saying that the Holocaust isn't a big deal, I'm making a nuance point here. Oh, nuance? Fuck you with your nuances. (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean, who has time for that? (laughs) I need it black or white. And by black or white, I mean crayon color. Exactly, exactly. And we are the good guys. I take back everything that I said. We're the good guys. That, those are the bad guys, and uh, that's why uh, you need a vaccine passport. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> this, this episode is brought to you by Pfizer. Oh, Pfizer. We, love well, we, Pfizer. we love our we, we, we love our Pfizer sponsors. Uh, Moderna, you you know you just got outbid. You know I oh. turned down Moderna for you, Pfizer. I, I, I pulled through that barn at the fairgrounds, and they offered me Moderna. <laughs> and I said, no thanks. What else is on the menu? And they said, Pfizer. And I was like, that's for me. That's the one, yeah. I was, I was like, do you, do you have any of that AstraZeneca? And they said, oh, no, that one's, that one's really bad. And I'm like, you know, I like Johnson & Johnson. I like the baby shampoo. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, Johnson & Johnson, the, the company that had uh, toxic baby powder, uh, who then lobbied Congress so that they could never be sued, uh, leaving 38,000 women childless and with no recourse. Let me get that one, right? I they like said, no, that. We have, we, have, <laughs> we have Pfizer, who's somehow more evil than Johnson & Johnson, you know, sing, almost single-handedly responsible for uh, 
you know, the opioid crisis that we have. We have that one. Moderna, there's a new kid on the block. Moderna, the only thing that they've done is this this fake vaccine. So, you know, which which way do you want to go? Um, but I'm glad we're all team Pfizer here. Yeah, you know what? And I yeah, got to say, yeah. that, that Pfizer got me so high. I pulled out into the parking lot. I had to take, like, a good 20 minutes. Not even the 15. I had to take 20. I just turned on nice. some classic rock and jammed to those riffs, <laughs> and I was good, man. You turned on some ZZ Top and just fucking let the windows no, down. No, Floyd, and, man, and the Floyd. <laughs> I had to shoot the Floyd. <laughs> Hilarious. It, it got me really hooked on, uh, you know, pursuing that high over and over again, so now I'm back on <laughs> different opiates. Uh I am abusing a lot of drugs now, um, but you know, life is, is a dice game. You know, you just roll it and you just. So yeah, thank thank you Pfizer for getting me back on drugs. Uh, <laughs> it's the gateway. <laughs> Your vaccine was another gateway that opened up. <laughs> we were we were too sober, you know. For, we we were just going too long, being too sober, and now I'm. I'm all about that self-sabotage again, baby. Put all the needles in me. I don't care if they're clean. It's going to look like hell, the Hellraiser guy, the pinhead. <laughs> all, all, that in, all that in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, there was some good, there was a good uh, nice in the uh, below the eye uh, scene in, in this one. Oh, that yeah. was uh, there's some pretty intense, uh, you know, stabbing and and up through the torso, uh, just all kinds of creative little ways, you know, blades coming out yeah. the, the orifices, yeah. all of that. That face one was one of my favorites where uh, they're on the bridge and that guy is actually like, uh, I don't know if he's just representing a sort of um, do as you're told sort of militant leader type because he actually tells Ezo, um, I don't have any problem with you. I was just hired to kill you. And, you know, so Ezo goes about murdering his clan and then stabbing him in the face. Um, Those are the guys with the basket hats, right? Because I accidentally, that was one of the uh, subtitles that my eyes caught was like, I don't have a problem with you, you're saying. And then, you know, basically his guys were unleashed, took off their basket hats and were at it. It was go time. What were, uh, what were some of y'all's favorite set pieces? I personally really liked the, uh, the rockabilly, um, sort of street gang. Oh, the, right. There was like one that reminded me of the village people. And then there was <laughs> the other one that kind of reminded me of the Sopranos. And in fact, it was one shot where I thought that they, that was actually the Sopranos there. But I was like, no, you're just tripping, Jerry. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I like the SWAT team. I like all the bullets. I thought that was really well done in a movie that, um, is so gory there's a lot of slashing that doesn't result in you know amputation or whatever um what i really liked about this movie and this ties into the set pieces is i liked the tim and eric style cgi um there's a lot of it in this movie and to people who are cgi purists first of all you're spawns of satan and you're going to hell um, but I like the CGI when it looks uh, ugly it could, because it starts to have personality. And when he is on the Mobius strip and he cuts it in half, it just reminds me of a Tim and Eric sketch. Or, uh, you know, there's there's points where he like goes through doors and there's this kind of almost uh, sliders quality special effect to it. Um, the, any scene that had bad CGI in it, uh, including Bob Sapp getting cut in half and his top half just sort of uh, being pulled off screen, probably by a, you know, a worker who was being paid like $10 an hour. Um, <laughs> I just vibed with it. I just fucked with it. I, I like, I like that. Again, it goes back to that talk about imperfection and how when things look fake, you can still make them work 
And I think this movie did that well. Sometimes I like that a lot. I got to tell you, I, I'm I'm a huge cheese fan, and I kind of love. I would sometimes even prefer a guy in a Godzilla suit over a CGI Godzilla. Mm. And I'm not a pure. I mean, I used to be a purist, and yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But as time has progressed, and if it's you know there there's a there's a place for it, and really good CGI is hard to beat. I've, I mean, I think the Spider-Verse is, is the movie that kind of converted me to CGI as far as, um, as far as like the graphic and beautiful nature of it. I mean, cause yeah, that, yeah. whatever you feel about the plot line of it, I mean, as far as the cinematography and just the pure psychedelia of it, it's almost gratuitous psychedelia. And I just mm-hmm. fucking loved it. It was just like brilliant. I could watch it over and over again. Yeah, I am a pure enemy of all things Marvel and DC, but except for that movie. I think that movie is great. Yeah, um, it's pretty kick-ass. It, it just really touches on the father-son dynamic really well. And like you said, it's just very joyful to look at because it's not going for any kind of realism. And once you throw what, CGI in the, surface of, in the service rather of making things look realistic is garbage and a waste of time, but if it's used artistically, I think mm-hmm. it's got a lot of value. I love the psychedelic um, scenes in this too, where it's just like him with the flowers in that field like of flowers. Like a zombie there. While the, yeah, he, he has those. He has an odd progression um, where he's turning more and more into the devil, like... Or a zombie. Like, he goes through these different states, and he goes back and forth through them. The same way that he goes back and forth through time. Like, sometimes he looks more human. Sometimes he looks like the devil wearing a Batman mask. And sometimes he has those glassy, milky zombie eyes. And I I thought that was also an interesting way of looking at the, like, humanity's uh cycles of uh, of just the experience of being human it, it it's a uh, a mixture of all these like you know being pure being tired being devilish being a drone and kind of enacting things that have kind of culturally been been passed down to you you know the violence that's kind of bred within us. And that's part, like, really, and I think you guys were talking about that last episode, too. I, you know, I keep referring back to that. But there was a really good conversation about the animals. I mean, if people want to discount that we're just apes, you know. And, and really, that and once you understand that, you will realize certain things are a waste of time. And I think that you potentially could, could you know, focus your energy better elsewhere on some of these, you know, social, quote-unquote, social problems or what what have you. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like it's something that's not really accepted. People fight against it. And ever since I embraced it, I feel a lot better. <laughs> you know, you have to embrace the animal within, but I think it's a good expose, this movie, it, 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 on that as well, and just the just how it's kind of a hereditary thing. And I think that's more subtle and maybe it's because I didn't have some of the benefit of the subtitles, but I just felt like that was such a theme. Yeah, no, totally. And like if um, Tokyo Fist, where we were talking about that, if that's like a, a representation of the like animal within us and like embrace that animal. Um, this feels very much like embrace the absurd. The whole purpose of, God is not, and humanity and the soul, it's not trying to put it on a linear path, a clear A to B, like this means this. It's the absurd is the point, and the incoherence is the nature of it. Yeah. There's a, just really quick, this doesn't really connect in, but I thought some listeners might be interested. Uh, so Izo Okada was a historical figure in mid-19th century Japan, kind of uh, right on the cusp of modernization. And he was an assassin and a bodyguard. I read the Wikipedia page on, on him, and it's a lot of Japanese names that 
perhaps mean something if you're familiar with Japanese scholarship, which I'm not, or Japanese history, I should say. Um, but yeah, he was this sort of uh, figure who was, um, you know, sort of called out. He was known as one of the best swordsmen of the time, which we talked about that on the Blade of the Immortal episode. I have a real sort of um, romanticism and nostalgia for a time in which I did not live. So far as I know, I don't think any of my incarnations were Japanese uh, samurai. But this idea of uh, people being able to have merit based on how good they were with a sword is very romantic to me. So that's his his background. I thought it was interesting that he was a, a real figure um, and kind of maybe a sort of analogous thing in, in American history is if we had a really kind of, I don't know, psychedelic uh, Jesse James movie or something like that, right, where Jesse James is going through history and, you know, killing people or, you know, maybe even um, a serial killer, right, which we had something close to with uh, Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built, which, uh, did y'all see that movie? It's a, not one of von Trier's best. I haven't seen that one yet. But yeah, it, it's it's basically a montage film about a serial killer played by Matt Dillon, and at the end of it, he goes to hell, and you know he has a he's being kind of ushered through it by Virgil, and it, it's close, but not exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, apparently Izo has been uh, used as the um, inspiration for uh, Garonin Kenshin, which I saw the uh, movie adaptation of that. It was okay. Uh, he's been in video games, uh, kind of his, those historical kind of romance of the Three Kingdoms style, uh, you know, battle games. He's a he's a character that you can get. So he's definitely Japanese audiences would know who this was. Um, and the actor that they got to play him, interestingly enough, was a just a minor bit character actor in V Cinema. And I went back and forth about the actor because he. Does he look goofy to you guys too? Cause he kind of looked like a more like a comedic actor than a than a demon. Izo uh, himself. Yeah, Izo himself. Yeah, right. you know what? Um, I was thinking in one scene in particular. It's really funny you say that. There was I uh, God. I was trying to remember his name and I should have looked it up. But it wasn't Rick Moranis from SCTV. There was another guy, one of the, the brew guys. Uh, you know, the Canadian. But he kind of did a profile, and I thought of that guy. And at certain points in the movie, I would think of that guy. So, yeah, in a way, I totally get what you're saying. Dave Thomas is his name. Yeah, I just remembered it. I didn't look it up. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, right, no, I believe you. I, uh, yeah, no, there's, that, there's also probably one of the most famous actors in Japanese cinema, which is Takeshi Kitano, who plays one of the... Um, the, the the kind of stoic guy who's sitting at the table, um, he's a he's a director. He did Brother and Violent Cop, and uh, he's also in the uh, 2017 Scarlett Johansson vehicle, Ghost in the Shell, the the remake. Um, but basically, the way that they got funding for Izo was by having a ton of really popular and uh, famous Japanese actors in bit parts in this movie. So I didn't. Uh, you know, for a Japanese cinema podcast, uh, unfortunately, I didn't recognize very many of them. But apparently, this was like kind of a who's who of, of, of bit players because nobody would make the movie otherwise. Because, I mean, well, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, it, it's an anti-establishment religious film filled front to back with just violence yeah and sex and sex i thought that the, there was sex. that flash of that kitten with the eye which is another radiation thing i thought you know that was really strange some of the stuff that was mixed in the sex with the death was just a huge motif um mm -hmm. and so that was also i wanted to, to kind of you guys were talking about the um the CGI where he goes to that temple at a certain point. And it's almost like he gets recharged when he goes to that temple or whatever, but he kind of melds into that or, or uh, kind of goes through that door. But I didn't notice it the first time around, but there are breasts in that door, those doors that he mm -hmm. kind of, Oh yeah. I, I actually, I actually had the thought when I thought I was like, Oh, it's a titty door. The titty. <laughs> 
<laughs> David just has like an eagle eye for two. That's good. That's I good. Do. I do. I spot him from a mile away. I didn't even see the cod piece, and I'm usually on that too. But you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at all I'm the just, genitalia, yeah. David. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just an observant fellow, you know. And you know, if you ever meet me, your clothes won't protect you. <laughs> Who needs X-ray glasses? No, no. I got my imagination and my uh, uncomfortable autistic staring. Um, <laughs> I knew I would like you. Yeah, same, 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 same. Well, do we have any uh, final thoughts on Isa before we wrap this one up? This is a great episode. I like this one because we uh, we actually talked about the movie, which is which is nice. Uh, I'm looking through. I, I, you know, at the end, it's funny because the whole God thing with the lady boy being God, he only gets rumpled. He gets his sleeve torn off in this whole thing. He's not damaged. The a woman who the woman who I interpreted to be his like a spirit guide, uh, which mm-hmm. you know I, I that's that's what I came up with. I was just like she's important. Maybe she's the woman because I could I thought he was having sex with different women. The first woman with the makeup on by the river there that you you see uh, her in that willow tree or whatever. She looked white to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I was a Same. little confused by some of that. Maybe the makeup was doing that, but then the woman in the cave looked different than that woman. Mm-hmm. And maybe you know, mm-hmm. I thought I want to see a clear version of this because it was so little pixelated um, where, when I was watching it. So I would really be interested in seeing uh, like a little cleaner of a version, um, mm-hmm. just because like, some of the, the the photography was really stunning. Um, yeah. I love Blue, Blu-ray, the color. Blu-ray remaster. Let's do a Blu-ray remaster. <laughs> Bring it on. Let's link up with Third Window and do a Blu-ray remaster of Ezo. And then we all go on and we do a commentary track. That'd be sick. Yeah, right. This, this is this is the commentary track. Yeah. But he's at that top of that staircase <laughs> with just his sleeve ripped off and really just as beautiful as ever with a, a nimbus around his head and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, Izo's uh, climbing the staircase, riddled with arrows, St. Sebastian style, one through his eye, I believe, and just like all that, reaches mm-hmm. for him, and it seems like, does he blow on him at the end? And blow him down the <laughs> <Yeah>. steps? <laughs> and right. it's like, there you yeah. go. And then there's the whole, like, reincarnation or rebirth thing. I mean, that was like, in a way, I kind of loved that ending. And, you know, and, and, and David, what's not to love about a, a light? Like this brilliant, like nuclear-powered light coming out from the nether regions of that woman. And a hundred percent. That's how I see all vaginas. <laughs> yes, yes. Agreed. Um, no, absolutely. The rebirth thing was fun. Also, it has a hilarious fake baby at the end. Again, yeah. I have a, a huge, a huge affinity for glaringly fake shit in movies. Uh, the balls that it takes to just be like, yeah, that looks like shit. Film it. Okay, Film so, it so with that, you saying that in the beginning when they, they first stabbed the Christ figure, I, I thought that it was like like almost looked like a puppet at, at a certain like at a certain shot there where there's heads kind yep. of like bobbing like a puppet. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And they even had the audacity to paint his face. Like there's a quick cut where because. Yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, "Am I am I tripping right now? Did did he just look completely fake?" And I rewinded, and they just paint a face on it, and it kind of <laughs> looks like a Jim Henson Muppet <laughs> face. <laughs> it's fan, it's fantastic, and that goes back to Miike's shooting style for these movies that was exemplified in Tom Mess's book Iron Man. And how Shinya Tsukamoto will spend days and days getting a 15-second shot. And Miike, in his diary for Ichi the Killer, had to shoot, I think, like eight scenes. And he asked Tsukamoto to use the set that he was using for Bullet Ballet. And in the time that it took Tsukamoto to shoot um, one scene, which was three days, I think Miike had shot uh, like several dozen scenes then. And, he, and Miike comments in his diary, he's like, this is why I will never defeat him. Because Miike is just, you know, he's like, that's good enough. You don't make 
over a hundred films if you're being too precious about anything. But then you end up with, to my, I would go so far as to call this movie uh, brilliant and unique and singular, even though it is ponderous and boring and uh, uh, with really shitty CGI and a lead actor who looks like kind of like Mr. Bean. I mean, I, I just think that the whole thing is. <laughs> such a work of, of art you know this is this is basically what i'm looking for in art yeah me too i i want a copy i want to watch this again i'm gonna watch it again now reading the subtitles and i wouldn't mind it having in collection because it's i you know there's another thing i like to do that it's like if i if there's ever a party i, I rarely throw parties at this point in time but if i were to i used to like to have something on the screen um, and just have music on, another one of those things with the sound down. And this would be a good one to have just on a screen at uh, any, like, a party. You know, I, I love I love the look of it. Yeah, it would be good for a cousin yeah. party, too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I'm, I'm really, uh, I was glad that you guys asked me to do this. This is a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on. Toby, you got anything? The only way to become God is to kill God. If you see the Buddha on the road, kill him.
この世の光のただ中。